Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Corner 3 Show. I'm Derek Reifer. I have RJ Garcia over the line once again. We're back for episode 21. Finally, at long last, a couple of episodes, you know, uh, just disappeared into the mist. Here we are, <laughs> and we're back to talk sports with you guys. What's up, RJ? Yeah, we're going with the very, very high-tech technology of Skype. Wow, can't believe it. We were, we're using cooler things before, but now we're just going back to basics with this yeah, one. Yeah, we're rolling with Skype. Uh, I don't think I want to mention what the cooler things before were because any publicity is good publicity, you know? But uh, stay away from anything other than other than <laughs> Skype, assuming this episode actually makes it to the right. airwaves. That's right. Um, it sounds good. So we had a couple things that we wanted to talk about today. I think the first thing that we definitely wanted to at least touch on was this big baseball controversy right now going on with the sign stealing, the Astros, a uh, couple of couple of guys, the the Astros GM and manager, both suspended for a full year and subsequently fired. Uh, then Alex Cora, the manager of the Boston Red Sox, was fired in anticipation of him getting a punishment from MLB. Um, and now the latest controversy is the Mets, who, whose manager, Carlos Beltran, was a member of that Astros team as a player, but not as a coach who was not disciplined by MLB. A lot of people are wondering now if they will get rid of Carlos Beltran. So, RJ, I know what your take is on this. I, I think I'm not too strong one way or the other, but um, I'd like to hear your take for, for the airwaves because I think it's a pretty fascinating one. I mean, I think that the, at the end of the day, one of the best way of framing this whole process that would be useful is when you've got some players such as, I mean, the, the players that were pretty well known to be involved in this were Carlos Beltran, for instance, Jose Altuve, for instance, right? I think at this point in time, most people would would think that Carlos Beltran and Jose Altuve are most likely to be Hall of Fame caliber players. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think that Carlos Beltran seems like he would be close to a shoe-in. Um, Jose Altuve, at the rate he's going, would also be a shoe-in if he continues. I mean, so so I think the question for me is, do would people, or is like, do people think that this should keep them out like steroids would? And I think, and I ask that question in this way because people are acting like, to me, that this <clears throat> is like steroids, but even worse. And what I don't personally get is we're just going to do this all over again and we're going to look back at this in 10, 15 years and be like, how are these moron Hall of Fame voters acting like Jose Tuve, Jose Altuve, Carlos Beltran, whoever else? I mean, hell, maybe even some of the other players on the Astros that they're just going to completely taint this entire organization. Why are they not getting into the Hall of Fame? Why are we taking this so seriously? Why did we do this 10 years ago? And I... I and I just think that at the end of the day, I mean, or hell, how about fucking Mookie Betts? Mookie Betts, right? He he was he was he used the stolen signs, so we believe, right? With the with the uh, Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I don't Is think he done the, too? Uh, I don't think that the full investigation about the Red Sox has come out. My understanding is they weren't doing quite the same stuff that the Astros were doing, but probably were using some elements of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've... to to answer part of your question. Um, I think this is a little bit different for the players than steroids was. I mean, for example, if Carlos Beltran was caught using steroids, he would have been suspended. Um, right. That happens to players all the time. Players get suspended for 60 games to a full season for, for doing steroids, whereas in this case, no players were suspended whatsoever. They were all what? sort of taken as 
being part of being cogs in this bigger system that was being run by the front office. No, I don't think that's true. I think that that what it's closer to is just that MLB MLB didn't want to get involved with dealing with the MLB Players Association, and there's no union for the the managers and for the uh, and for the front office staff. I think that's closer to it because if you really get involved with kind of, and we've all seen these videos, we've all seen these bangings, we all see it pretty much was happening for almost every single player for the Astros. You can't go out there and suspend an entire team for 20 games. Because you're going to run into issues with the union, you're going to run into like logistical issues, and it's just kind of what everybody has said, and this is what even what Jeff Passan was said essentially, just that this is not something you can. Jeff Passan, who's a who's a who's a baseball. Uh, yeah, reporter. I'm sorry. Yes, ESPN. At, at ESPN baseball reporter, and I think that, but I think that that's going to be a legitimate question for us because I think that. From my perspective, if you're keeping somebody like Altuve, if you're keeping somebody like Beltran out of the Hall of Fame for this, that's just really dumb. And if you're thinking that, that it's that level of seriousness, I think it's dumb. But I think that there are a lot of people that will. And I think this is going to be something that people – and people are acting like they should take away the World Series. I mean, that's an insane concept. It's even more insane than not letting somebody into the Hall of Fame because of it. Like, oh, what, are you going to take away – are you going to take away – like the things that Barry Bonds did on the as a player, are you going to take away the World Series is that Roger Clemens won? No, that's that's absurd. It's a ridiculous concept. Yeah, I think well, the fact that they didn't do that kind of speaks volumes about it a little bit. I do think that there is a uh, a good argument that if they hadn't been running this big big cheating rink, that they wouldn't have won that 2017 title. Um, oh, so, come so that, on. I mean, th- I there is a, so. there is there is an argument there, um, for sure. Of course, the entire other side of the ball was seemingly unaffected by this, was, and, and Justin Verlander shutting people down. Um, but th- there's there's an argument out there, and uh, if if it's true that that gave them the extra edge, I mean, what, what was it? A, se- a seven game series um, with the Yankees, and then with the Dodgers as well. Uh, and and the the report says that they were using the system during the playoffs. So I mean, how much of an edge do you think this gives them? I'm not sure, but uh, definitely an argument out there that that it won them the World Series. So then the question becomes, if you can cheat like this to win the World Series and get a one year suspension for your manager, isn't that worth it? Why why would other teams now not want to to run this system? Or do you just think that that running this system is fine and every team should be doing it? I mean I mean where do you where do you draw the line here? Do you have a problem with with this sign stealing using using technology? I mean, look, at the end of the day, I admittedly don't have as much of a problem with it, but I don't I mean I think there's no reason to look at this any differently than steroids. And I think that most of us in the in the with stuff in the background look at steroids as something that was something that was going on. It was happening consistently and it was something where there were people that were using technology and and adrenaline or whatever the other anabolic steroids that were to make themselves better. I don't think it's all that different. And I think at the end of the day, I think that most people in modern baseball have come to realize that steroids was not nearly as big of a deal as people were making it. And I think it's very similar for this. I think at the end of the day, you think about you, – you just wouldn't go back and say, oh, the, you're going to revoke whatever the A's did with Conseco and McGuire. I mean it's just – I just think that's kind of absurd. Yeah, I definitely agree with the way that you're presenting it in terms of – the league's idea of steroids uh, evolving over time. And I also agree that more is going to come out here. I, I, I highly doubt that 
the Astros were the only team smart and or evil enough to pull this off. I mean, obviously, there's already some sort of investigation going on with the Red Sox. Who knows what will happen with that? Um, but I'm sure other teams were doing things like this. I mean, there were there was a, a, a mini controversy back in 2017. People don't really remember where the Red Sox and Yankees were kind of going at each other, reporting each other to baseball for stealing signs using a tablet or, or iPad um, in the dugout. So this was already a whole thing, um, and it kind of didn't boil over like, like it's boiling over now. And, of course, the Astros weren't actually involved in that controversy. So uh, clearly teams teams are doing it. I think now that it's we've become so hypersensitive to it and the media has become so hypersensitive to it, um, that, that we're going to find out more and, and that could, and that could, uh, make the Astros look better. It can make baseball look worse depending on, depending on what way you want to look at it. Um, and then I guess to put a, to put kind of a bow on this before we jump into basketball, um, it kind of, it kind of explains the whole controversy with the Mets right now with Carlos Beltran, who wasn't punished for, for any of this, but is this going to be a stain on the Mets are the media going to just zero in on this all season? And and is this going to be a story around the team that the team doesn't need? Do, do they need to fire Carlos Beltran, who is a Mets legend, a future Hall of Famer? Uh, the players seem to like him. Is this going to be too much of a distraction? Regardless of how you feel about this morally, do you think if you were if you were running this Mets team, would you, would you take action? There have been Mets players that have done worse than what is being accused right now. There have been Mets players that, like, I mean, no, I don't think it's a big deal personally. That's just me. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm kind of biased here because I don't think it's much of a big deal for the issue. I mean, look, in, in a really, really, like, cynical way, the way I would look at this for Carlos Beltran is this guy wants to win, right? Really wants to win. And as a Met who as a Mets fan who has not won – Watching the Washington Nationals get their title and whatever has happened after that title for their players, at some point you just have to come to compromises with what the players on the field do and what they do when they're not on the field. That's my opinion. All right. I mean, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. I think that my gut says that they will get rid of Carlos Beltran probably at some point today or by the end of the week. Uh, I won't feel feel all too sad about it. I think I would I would understand the decision um, based on based on you know the way the media is treating this and how they're going to treat the Mets. I, I'm not sure how long it's going to take for for this to sort of go away, uh, this issue to go away with Beltron. But I, I right. would feel bad because because I, I like Carlos Beltron a lot as a player, and I agree with you that that this isn't as big of a deal as they're making out to be. All right, let's move on now t- to basketball talk. Uh, we haven't done basketball talk in a while, and there is a lot of stuff going on this season. Obviously, in the forefront probably has been the battle between the Titans in Los Angeles. Um, but you know what? Maybe there's something more important going on, and that's what we wanted to talk about a little bit today, uh, specifically the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks were a historically great team last season. Uh, they ended up having a disappointing end in the playoffs. And they're having a similarly dominant regular season this year. And it seems that they aren't really being talked about all that much. Uh, perhaps it's partially because uh, we kind of saw a similar thing last season and then they fizzled out in the playoffs. Perhaps 
it's just because, you know, they're a, a Milwaukee team and they're not in the Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, what do you think? What, what are your overall thoughts surrounding this team, how they're being treated, how seriously we should take them? Well, I think we should take them extremely seriously. I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is a team that lost in six to the eventual title winners last year in what I think it to be a better league than the year before than, than what it is right now. I mean, I think at the end of the day, when you take a look at the way this Bucks team has improved and kind of diversified some of their shot selections, I think there's a, a very good reason to take them extremely seriously. And I would say even more than that, right? This is a team that's number one in defense and number two in offense by cleaning the glass in terms of raw efficiency numbers. This is a team that really, realistically, has a shot at winning 70 games, something that's only been done twice in NBA history. And I understand people that might say, well, they're beating up on the Eastern Conference. Well, they're beating up on whatever whatever else it is. That's fine, and I get that. And they are 10-0 and in their sorry-ass division. Um, they're 36-6. and six. Like, <laughs> There's not too many teams that have had a higher win percentage than 85%. Or 86% if you round up. Like 85%, 86% of their time time they play a game, they're out there and winning. And that's kind of unbelievable. And it really the and it's really frustrating. I think as a Bucks fan, I'd be extremely frustrated. But even more so, just as a kind of a fan of the league and somebody who really enjoys Giannis, it enjoys Giannis in this system. That like you just see so much stuff. Oh, where's Giannis going to go next? Where's Giannis going to go next? I mean. This is an incredible year from Giannis. He's probably going to win another MVP. This is an incredible team that puts him in a great spot to thrive. I would love to see him stay in this system forever. This is really cool. This is great. I love watching Giannis like this. And I think that as long as with a, if we as NBA fans would be to kind of embrace that identity more, it would be a better world. Um, okay, a lot, lot to unpack there. A lot, a lot um, there, a lot there, yes. I definitely think that this is a team to be taken extremely seriously, especially with the top of the East uh, seemingly a little bit weaker than it was last year uh, from when the playoffs come around. Um, like you said, they've been extremely dominant and they've been consistent all season. You mentioned number one in defense or number two. Yeah, number one in defense, number two in offense, excuse me. Uh, they're number one by over four points right now in point differential on the season. And the consistency last last two weeks, number three in point differential. Um, they're, they're dominating teams week in, week out, and they're doing it a lot of different ways, and especially using Giannis and, and using that supporting cast that was so effective for them last season. Brooke Lopez has become an elite defensive player and, and an elite complementary offensive player. Uh, a lot of people were making a big deal about Malcolm Brogdon's uh, departure, and Malcolm Brogdon is an excellent player. Uh, but this team revolves around Giannis, and they still have well, plenty of role players to, to, to get stuff done around him, and he's continuing to get better. But I do think that's one thing that's really interesting, and I think that does tell part of the story why this, this team is getting a little bit less buzz, is that while I do think they're better, I, I, I'm i sorry, while I do think this is an amazing, amazing team, I think you can make a pretty serious argument that this, is, this team was better last year. And that last year, just with how great the top of the Eastern Conference was, how good the league was top to bottom, how much, how many fewer injuries that this was a better team last year. And especially when you got lose a guy like Malcolm Brockton, who is a very, very solid player and has been getting doing even better in Indiana this year. Um, but I think one thing that's so wild to me personally is that this team has a 12.6 point differential. So essentially in a hundred possessions, which is more or less an average game they, against an average team, they'd be expected to win by 12 points. Sure. Right. We can kind of agree on that. Giannis is only playing 30 and a half minutes a game. 
Like, that's insane that this team can get away with being that good and only having him play such a few amount of minutes. I honestly can't believe it. I mean, if we compare that to other players such as LeBron, Kawhi, whoever else, obviously Kawhi does set a lot of games. LeBron's playing every single game. He's playing 35 minutes a game, and that's how, and that's really driving the Lakers to their number. But the Bucks are able to hit their number with Giannis not even at full, like 100% of his potential workload. It's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, last year he was only averaging 32.8 minutes per game, which, which right. wasn't crazy. He was getting, oh, hello, cat, um, which wasn't, which he was still getting 28 points per game. Um, now, like you mentioned, 30.6 minutes, he's getting 30 a game. <laughs> I mean, he's just on a mission once again. Uh, and the question is going to become the playoffs, but I, I don't really think that they're going to face the same competition in the playoffs this year no, as they, they faced last year. I don't think that's that hot of a take. Um, you uh, think they're the favorite course, to win the title? Do I think they're the favorite to win the title? I think that by default they kind of have to be just because their conference seems to be pretty weak and, and they're so clearly – one of those, I guess, if you want to uh, talk about like the three most elite teams with with the Bucks and probably the two LA teams, um, you'd have to say that the Bucks are are on that level and they don't have to face another one of those teams in the conference finals. So, so that's, I don't, that's so pretty I don't much think all it's one level. down to. I think those are two levels right there for me. I think it's the Bucks one, and then the LA teams is on a second lower level. And if you want to go one A one B, that's fine. That's fine with me. If you want to go one and two, that's also fine with me. But I think there's no reason to think that this Bucks team isn't significantly better than the LA teams from what we've seen from the LA teams at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I personally would would not agree with that. Actually, um, I I I don't think the Bucks are are better than I don't, I don't know if they're worse necessarily than the Lakers. I don't think they're necessarily better than a full full strength Lakers team, uh, especially in, in a playoff setting. Uh, we'll still see what happens. I mean, uh, Eric Bledsoe has had his share of issues in the playoffs. Right. Um, for example, he's obviously an enormous contributor for this team. Eric Bledsoe is like the fourth best player on this team, though, right? Like Brooke Lopez is probably better, especially against a Lake in the Lakers series. Yeah, no, you're Chris absolutely Milton right. Better. But, but uh, compare the second best player on this team to to the second best player on the Lakers, for example. Well, sure. Right. And they still I mean, have excellent role players in L.A. And both of those L.A. teams. I don't think we want to focus on the L.A. teams. Kind of the whole point of this conversation is that we shouldn't be talking about right. the L.A. teams this much more than the Bucks. Um, no, but, uh, but, no, but I think this is important, though, because if you think this, that they're actually pretty close to equal, right, then maybe we should be focusing on, on them as much. And I, I just from my perspective, right, if you have a team that's doing this level in the regular season, and, like, I understand that people, there's, like, Regular season playoffs is not exactly the same, but it's a lot higher of a correlation than people think. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a team that's at the level that they're winning at, which is, again, the only other teams that have a higher winning percentage within this team at this point, right, is the Warriors team that won 73 games and the Bulls team that won 71 games. That's yeah. it. So I just think that at some point, obviously that Warriors team fell apart due to injury and LeBron and all that. And maybe LeBron does it again, right? But I think that at this time you have to – I think that they you have to have them as almost heavy favorites, not just because of the Eastern Conference, but also just because I think they're a much better team. Yeah, I think I think they are favorites. I, I don't know how heavy I would I would consider them. I think that uh, I haven't totally given up on the Sixers as a playoff team. I think that uh, before this season we were talking about how the Sixers might not be the most dominant regular season team, but would be a real beast in the playoffs. I still think that is all pretty much yeah. coming to fruition. Um, and I also think looking, I just pulled up 538's uh, odds 
They do have the Bucks second after the Lakers. I, I would personally disagree with that. I, I would I would put the Bucks first, as I mentioned. But they have the Sixers right there in, in third place in terms of chance of winning the finals over the Clippers. So again, that, that seems a little a little controversial to me, but you know, not crazy. The Sixers team looks like it's built for the playoffs. Um, and of course they, they haven't really done too much in the playoffs, but they came pretty close. They were a Kawhi jumper potentially away uh, last year, right? And yeah, now, I mean, so now, here's another question. They for look you. different, of course. So here's another question for you. Do you think they're gonna? Do you think, what do you think they're gonna win 70 games? Who are the Bucks? That's do right. I think they're going to win 70 games? I think that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to put on any team. I I, I don't. I wouldn't say that I would I would bet even odds that they are gonna win 70 games. Uh, All right. I think that you might though. Yeah, I think they're gonna win 70 games. And let me give you kind of a a, a piece of my argument. I think that. Especially in the Eastern Conference, essentially there's six teams that are decent or good to decent, and the rest are, are different levels of bad, right? Like even when we're looking at now that we know now that we know that Jonathan Isaac outs for the year, and that this Brooklyn team just isn't kind of what people thought they might be, uh, the rest of those teams are, are pretty horrible for what it's worth. And then on top of that, there's a lot of teams that are just going to continue to tank or continue to play young players, however you want to phrase it. So I think that there's going to be a lot of winnable games late in the year for the Bucks, And I think a lot of it's just going to come down to, does this team want to win 70 or not? If I was them, I would want to win 70 because, you know, I understand the whole concept that you want to be rested up for the playoffs, but don't worry. Round one is going to be a rest. You're going to be playing against fucking the Orlando Magic without Jonathan Isaac and with Markel Fultz as their starting point guard. That'll, that'll be enough of a rest for them. And I think that the thing that the other no reason why I think to Markel Fultz. I mean, he's he's better than us at basketball. Yes, he's better than me. That is true. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that you take a, and I think the other reason why I think they they have 70 in them is that it's they're already still resting, as we've talked about with with their main main players not playing that many minutes. Is that if they can can you continue that? And as the other teams naturally fall off, naturally don't really play as many of their best players, naturally continue that. I think they've got it. I think they're going to be able to do it. Uh, I mean, interesting. I, I, I think it really just comes down to how big of an emphasis they want to put on that. If they want to really go hard every game for the rest of the season, I think it's definitely yeah. something they could do. Is it something I would bet on? Personally, no. Weird things happen over the course of the season. Right. Players get hurt. Players miss games. Uh, teams go on bad stretches, although we already mentioned how uh, how consistent the Bucks have been. But, you know, Giannis looking, looking like in line for a back-to-back MVP trophy. Um, basketball reference right now, MVP tracker has him as the heavy favorite at a 47.5% probability. Second place, James Harden at a 19% probability. Uh, obviously, that predictor is uh, based on a lot of different factors, team record, personal performance, um, what has usually won MVP in the past. Uh, Giannis is, is, is looking like uh, a dominant MVP candidate once again, and I'm sure we'll, we'll revisit them later in the season on this show. Uh, and during the playoffs, uh, probably many times, as you mentioned, they, they should breeze through at least the first round or two. <laughs> as the, last year, I think they played – did they play the Pistons in the first round and, and yeah, basically swept them without even yeah. trying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, so, uh, and the Pistons yeah. are, are even worse now. Obviously, they're probably yeah. not going to make the playoffs, but they're they're definitely a worse yeah. team now. Sounds probably sounds tanking we'll, we'll now. Keep, keep Andre Drummond off my Knicks. Yeah. All right. Let's um let's move on now to, to our fantasy draft. Um, so, so we had an interesting fantasy draft this time. We, we think a lot of buzz has been going on with the 2016 NBA draft class this season. Uh, Ben Simmons, obviously the first pick 
in that draft. But these guys are becoming extension eligible, um, and most of them are getting extensions. Some of them aren't, um, looking at you, Brandon Ingram, uh, and will become free agents. So um, kind of kind of a lot of storylines going on with, with this draft class as they move into the next stage of their careers, move past those rookie contracts, and we can begin to judge them essentially as NBA veterans and, and not and not cheap young kids with, with a bright future, just looking at them as NBA players. So we wanted to go ahead and take a look at this draft class because I know that we we think a little bit differently about a lot of these guys. Um, RJ. Uh, who, who's going first? Who's going first here? What do you think? I think that you, you go first. You I think uh, first. I think looking back at our at our previous um, uh, you at our previous first, draft, it looks like it. you it looks like you went first okay, with our last go. draft. Good. Um, I'm I'm fine going first. Uh, I, I know it may be maybe a disadvantage for me based on how this is looking to shape out, but I, I'm pretty confident that my team will dominate. Uh, and I think you know who I'm going to take number one here. <clears throat> um, yes, I mentioned that uh, that Ben Simmons was the number one pick in the draft. He's not going to be the number one pick in this draft. You know why? Because I'm grabbing Pascal Siakam out of New Mexico State, um, an NBA Finals champion uh, and a developing superstar, if you asked me. I've called his name many times on this show. He could be a potential uh, most improved player once again this season in back-to-back years, averaging almost 25 a game. Uh, he's shooting 39% from three on six attempts after 2.7 attempts per game last season. He has come into his own uh, on offense without Kawhi Leonard. Many people were, were wondering, you know, can this guy actually take on an offensive load? Is he more of a, a play finisher, not really a play starter? Well, you know, he's he's running isolations. He's dominating in transition, as he always does. And, and he's putting up efficient scoring uh, in addition to what I think is probably his best asset, which is his his defense and, and his overall defensive versatility. So Pascal Siakam, obviously a little bit older than a lot of these guys in this draft class, um, but, you know, still getting better every year and continue and considering that he started playing basketball so late in his life. Um, I think he's on a little bit different of a trajectory as we've seen with some of these guys. So 25 years old, but still getting so much better every season. Uh, Pascal Siakam, number one pick. Does that feel controversial to you? Nah, I knew you were going to do that. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. I would take <laughs> Simmons, but, and I'm going to take Simmons right here, but I, I knew that this was your boy and you're going to stick with your boy. So I'll let you have it. Uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Ben Simmons. Um, I think that I understand why people are hard on him. I understand some of these issues, especially the three point shooting, especially everything else. Um, I just think there's so many great things about his game that I think that, especially on the defensive end, especially Dwight Howard has made more threes this season than Ben Simmons. All right, well then I'll play Ben Simmons at center. That's fine, man. <laughs> I can play Ben Simmons at center. He is, can handle is Ben Simmons a center. center. Is, he, is yeah, he just yeah. a center? Period. On my team, on my team, he's a center. Let's do that. That's fine. Um, and then my second pick, I'm gonna take Jalen Brown. Yeah. Um, I love Jalen Brown. I think he's had a great year. I think that this is a player that I know that we were talking about this earlier about regular season success and postseason success being similar, but I think that Jalen is somebody that has proven it in the postseason. And one thing I think is, I think just for this team and for the construction of this team that Jalen brings a lot of is that he's had a lot of experience not being the number one option, being the number two option. I think that realistically we're going to want to have Ben Simmons probably as our number one option or somebody else that's kind of similar in that he'll be able to fit into this kind of all-star team-ish concept pretty well. 
Yeah, uh, I think that that Jalen Brown was an obvious. I think both of those guys were were obvious picks in those slots. Uh, I actually might have might have considered going with Jalen Brown over Ben Simmons, but I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have done it. Uh, I think Simmons is clearly the second best prospect still in this draft, and and you know as I said, we shouldn't really think of these guys necessarily as prospects anymore. They're pretty they're pretty fully uh, formed people. They're pretty this. fully formed players, uh, although they are yeah. continuing to get better. But right. Uh, right. Yeah, I think that I think that those two are, are pretty obvious picks. Uh, no, no real arguments for me. I think my next pick, um, I have a couple of different ways. I, w- I was hoping that maybe you might let Jalen Brown slip through your fingers. Clearly, you weren't going to let that happen. Um, so my first pick is going to be Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, there there are a lot of other good players in this draft. We've talked about Malcolm Brogdon a little bit already on this on this episode, but he's been a big part of why the Pacers have been. One of the most underappreciated teams in the league this season, without Victor Oladipo once again, and, and without um, any problem getting to that mid that mid area of the Eastern Conference playoffs, just just going out there every night and, and beating teams when they need to beat them. Uh, and Malcolm Brogdon is a big part of that with his defensive versatility, with his ability to get in the paint and finish at a high clip, with his ability to shoot the three well enough. And he can play make pretty well too. I don't know if I would consider him a, a point guard, although he, he he you know positionless basketball these days. Uh, he can pretty much do <laughs> a lot of what it takes for a guard to succeed on both ends of the ball. He will fit in in any team on any system, and I'm excited to to put him on this team and in this system. Uh, and then I'm at a real crossroads here with my next pick because I'm not sure if you're gonna let this guy drop all the way just to make a statement. Uh, I'm not a huge, huge fan of his either based on how the public seems to perceive him, but I still think that he is the best option in this spot, uh, and that's Brandon Ingram. Um, so, so Brandon Ingram ha- is a controversial player on this show specifically. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily love what he does on defense. We don't necessarily think he's a very efficient player. Um, but, you know, he's been pretty darn efficient this season with the New Orleans Pelicans, getting 25 a game on 48 from, from the field and 40% from three. Uh, obviously, you know, the team is not winning very much, so you get a little bit into Devin Booker territory there as well. Um, but Ingram's been excellent this season. And, you know, how much I think that's going to translate in the future to winning basketball on a winning team, you know, I'm not really sure yet. But but he's still young and he has shown the ability to, to change things about his game and get better every season. I think at this point in the draft, I think the way that I already have two two excellent defensive players on this team, uh, I think Brandon Ingram is the right way to go here. He's he's been pretty much one of those guys that that the advanced stats tend to hate. Uh, but he's been yeah. he's been he's been pretty good this year. I mean, if you if you look at the if you look at 538's Raptor ratings, he's right next to Robert Covington. <laughs> who's who's a yeah. uh, advanced stats darling. Absolutely. So um, you got to give Brandon Ingram credit for the way he's played this season in a new situation. Uh, you got to feel happy for him after obviously being traded from the Lakers to the Pelicans could, could be tough, tough on a man's brand. So uh, he's, he's been up to the task and I think that he will be up to the task on this team. When I put players around him, that will help him succeed. I think that's a good pick. I think, I mean, I would have taken him, honestly, at some point. But it does make the next two picks for me very clear, which is nice. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take first. It doesn't really matter the order, I suppose. I'm going to take Buddy Heald. Mm. Um, 
You know, if you, I mean, obviously we were talking about this with uh, Ben Simmons, but if you are going to have Ben Simmons on the team, it does help to have a knockdown three-point shooter on the team as well. So that is what Buddy Heald is for me. And, and if I you have Buddy Heald on the team, it does help to have a relatively competent defender on the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's just, it's just symbiosis. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking they were of one another... player, they would probably be the GOAT. <laughs> Yes, that's that's true. You're right. Exactly right. <laughs> and then another player that needs a nice defensive uh, minds oh, around no. him, and that is Jamal Murray. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. So Jamal Murray, I think, is another player that is going to be useful for our squad. And I think that, honestly, I was a little surprised. I mean, I understand why you would take Brogdon over him, and I, I get it. But if it was up to me, I think that I'd rather have Jamal. I mean, contracts aside, I'd rather have Jamal Murray than Malcolm Brogdon, I think, pretty safely. And I think that um, at, with this, when this Denver, Denver's deep offense is running at its best, uh, obviously Nikola Jokic is the main driver of that. But additionally, Jamal Murray is, is, is really stepping up, and he's he's clearly the second option for that team. Uh, and I think that when you are somebody that has been proven to be a second option at, at that level, a 50-win level, et cetera, uh, it, it's impressive, and it's something that – well, I'm a fan of Malcolm Brockton, and I guess this is a 50-win Pacers team, I suppose. It's just <laughs> it doesn't really have the same feel because I, I just so much of this Pacers in the last couple of years to me has been a little smoke and dagger compared to it with being a little bit more straight up with this with, with the Nuggets and and how they've been able to succeed. It's funny because you you don't necessarily strike me as the biggest. Nuggets fan. Um, no, I'm, also- I, and I'm not right, but I think that a lot of my concerns with the Nuggets is it's not offensive, right? It's it's the fact it's it's defense, it's Jokic on defense, and um, and and that's like the main part of it. But at the same time, if you're thinking about a guard, you're thinking about somebody like Jamal Murray. So much of the key aspect of their of their jo- of their role, their job, mm-hmm. is to drive efficient offense, and it's pretty clear that this team has driven efficient offense. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's totally fair, and I think um, I think that Jamal Murray is probably mostly controversial only because of his contract. Um, I would agree with that. I don't think he's necessarily shown the growth that that we might want to see out of some of these guys, and, and what we have seen out of some of these guys. Uh, but hey, uh, he, he's a really good player, and I think that's I think that's a fair pick. I think I probably would have taken him. In that situation as well. Um, now, uh, I I have I have three guys on my team spot. right now. Yeah, you got an I have, interesting spot right here. I have here. two more pieces to fill. Uh, th- there's a lot of questions about how I want to build this team now, uh, how I want how I want it to really look, and do I take do I take a swing? I, I think I'm going to to take a bit of a swing on a player who I don't think has looked quite the way that a lot of us wanted him to look so far this season. Um, but a guy that I think I have a lot of faith in and a guy that I might still take going forward as the best point guard named Murray in this class. And that is DeJounte <laughs> Murray of Washington. And now obviously of the San Antonio Spurs um, coming off of pretty serious injury. Of course, last season, the Spurs were, uh, still keeping a lot of faith in him. They gave him they gave him a contract extension before he even stepped back on the court uh, this season. He's probably been you know a little bit disappointing. I think that uh, his offense has actually been 
better than it's ever been. I mean, he's shooting 49% from the field. He's actually hitting over 30% of his threes this season. He's scoring double-digit points for the first time. Um, right. And he's doing it on probably the worst Spurs team that he's ever played on. Uh, he's only played on three Spurs teams, but, you know, that's all it takes to play on, on a bad Spurs team when it's the Spurs. <laughs> um, but I don't think his defense has been quite as good as uh, a lot of people, myself included, thought it was going to be. He's averaging a career high in steals, but, you know, that's that's not really all we want to look at in the show. A lot of his uh, on-off defensive metrics are, are kind of eh, kind of middling. I think he actually ranks below Jamal Murray in defensive RPM for point guards, which is pretty shocking. Uh, I don't think that's a trend that's that's going to continue throughout the rest of his career. Um, I, I have I have a lot of faith in in Dejounte Murray, and I have faith in a guy that Greg Popovich is willing to give an extension to as well. As, as a little side note, um, I think Dejounte Murray on a team with Brandon Ingram, kind of kind of like what you were saying with with your buddy yield Ben Simmons symbiosis. Right. I think that uh, putting Dejounte Murray next to Malcolm Brogdon specifically in the backcourt is going to be very very interesting for this team. Um, so I'm taking Dejounte Murray. Um, I, I like him a lot. I think I think he can do a lot of different things, and I think that uh, he's still going to continue to get better coming off that injury. And I'm not super worried about him. Although you know, I wouldn't take him first or second in this draft, but I, I'm pretty confident taking him here. And then I think I want to round out my team with a big. It's just a matter really of which big I want. I think that there are two very good guys still left on the board. Um, in, in Jakob Pertl and DeMontis Sabonis. I'm not sure if you, if you really want either of those guys, if you're if you're specifically going that route. Um, I think I'm going to go with Jakob Pertl here to round wow. out this roster. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what, you, you, you may not agree with that decision. Um, I'm a big fan of Jakob Pertl. Uh, maybe it's just, again, my Spurs-covered glasses, Spurs-colored glasses. Um, this is a guy who is turning into... A, a not necessarily elite defensive center, but an excellent, excellent defensive center who can also do a few things on offense. You know, he, he's got a, a pretty solid mid-range game. He's not he's not useless on offense. He can run he can run a little bit as well. Uh, I, I like Sabonis too, um, but I think I think I prefer very very slightly. I think I prefer Jakob Pertl. Um, looking at the actually basketball basketball reference page for this draft class, he's actually third. Um, in VORP VORP all time in this draft class. Pretty impressive. Oh, um, wow. Six, sixth in win shares. Wow, um, how about that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I love me some Yaka Pertle. I think I did want a big on this team. You know, you could make the argument that maybe you could play Pascal Siakam at the five full time. I don't think that's really what we want to do here. I think we want to roll roll with Jakob and uh, take the laughs off the court and then win the games on the court. Okay, okay, bud. I, mean, I gotta say, I was I was ready. I was sitting here. I was like, you know, I I'm, I guess this last pick not looking great. I'm gonna take care of Levert. I guess I am gonna run this whole center Ben Simmons thing. But if you're just gonna give me Sabonis, I'm gonna take Sabonis. <laughs> like at the end of the day, like I know that he's not the greatest shooter, but this is a hell of a defensive team I've got now, especially in the front court. Jalen Brown, you, you Ben view, Simmons, you view Sabonis. Sabonis as a better defender than Jakob Pertl? I I would not. Oh yeah, especially for the for the concepts that I'm talking the run, the switch heavy kind of setup. Oh for sure. I mean, I, and additionally, I think that one thing that's pretty useful for both Murray and Ben Simmons is a legitimate pick-and-roll partner, and I think that Sabonis is more than a legitimate pick-and-roll partner for them to be using. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I wasn't probably not – I was thinking about not taking uh, a center, but you 
you just kind of gave me a dude that's like a four year, hundred million dollar guy, just um, the last pick of the draft. And I, and I appreciate it, man. And thank you. You're just being the giving guy. You know, it's funny. Actually, as you were going through that argument, I actually remembered how we had this exact argument in the offseason about Sabonis and how you were a lot bigger of a believer in him than I was. Um, but, yeah, let, let's let's just move on and, and wrap this guy up. So let's look at these two teams. Um, so so RJ's team, I guess you would, you would put it out as Jamal Murray, Buddy Heald, Jalen Brown, Ben Simmons, and DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, yep, whereas my right. team would be DeJounte Murray, Malcolm Brogdon, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, and Jakob Pertl. So, um, you know, I I love my team. I think these teams are, are, would actually give each other a very good fight. Uh, as always, I'm going to throw these guys up on the Twitter.com website to see uh, what the followers think. Um, but, yeah, excited to see what's going to happen. And uh, if you tuned in. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to our long episodes and and especially with we had some mic problems. So appreciate you sitting through that. And if you made it this far, thank you very much. Uh, RJ, any final thoughts before we sign off for the 21st time? I can't believe you took Jakob Podol. This is my final thought. I just can't believe you took him over you know Demontis Sabonis. I, I, uh, I think that all of the listeners out there, but especially RJ Garcia, should go take a look. <laughs> at Jakob Pertl. Go look at his numbers. Go look at his advanced metrics. Go watch some of his film. Uh, I think you might be pretty he, surprised. Does he start? Does he, I think does he, he might start? Be, I think you might be pretty surprised by how good Jakob Pertl is. Uh, does he start? He doesn't no. play. He doesn't play that much for a bad team. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just telling you my feelings. I, I, don't want, I don't want to go in on this any longer. All right. All right. You know what? Um, Good to be back. Hopefully, hopefully everyone already logged off when the mic was cutting out so they don't have to hear any of this crap. Um, but thanks again. Corner 3 show, man. Uh, right. It's good to be back. And RJ, have a good day, brother. Have a good day. All right. Peace, man.